Hello everyone, welcome to Mind Over Matter. This episode is called Trust Within and it's absolutely going to blow your mind. I'm joined by the amazing Molly Carroll and it follows so seamlessly from my last episode, The Sound of the Hum. So my name's Lisa, I'm going to be your podcast host. So let's cue that very familiar jingle and get this episode started. For those of you that haven't heard of Molly Carroll, she's just awesome. She's the renowned author of the sensational books, Cracking Open and Trust Within, which if you haven't read, then I'd absolutely urge you to. Molly's also a therapist, educator, artist and speaker, and in my opinion, has delivered two of the best TED Talks I've probably ever listened to, The Need for Human Connection and What Keeps Us Alive. So do check those out. So I'm super excited to have Molly joining me today because I know she's going to share with you some really valuable tools and insights on the subject of intuition. So sit back, relax, and let's dive on in to Trust Within. Welcome, Molly Carroll. It's absolutely amazing to have you here. Um, joining me via Zoom from all the way um, across the pond. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so excited that you're here. And it's so, I guess it's kind of weird how this ended up. I was just finishing the last Mind Over Matter called The Hum, which is essentially about intuition. And I remembered Mm -hmm. your book that I read, like, God, it was two years ago now, Trust Within. And I thought, it would be so incredible to get Molly on because your book spoke to me, I think, in a way that no book I've ever read has. So thank you for writing it. Thank you so much for saying that. It's through your inspiration, I've actually brought it back up and I've been reading it, um, rereading it. As a writer, you often don't reread your writing, or I should speak for myself. I'm not someone, I write it and I edit it and then I kind of let it go out into the universe, into the ethers and just let it do what it needs to do. But you have made me come back to it and I've been rereading it. So it's been, thank you for that. Cause it's been so fun to kind of um, revisit the people I interviewed and the stories um, and I-, I interviewed. And there's such inspirational stories. I think that's what I liked about it so much that the real rawness of the stories that you brought out in it is incredible but well you know people would come to me and say oh my gosh I hear you're doing a book on intuition you should interview my cousin or my sister and I mean I interviewed some people and it was you know I'd be sitting with the story and thinking is this for the book and even if there were some pretty high profile people if the answer was no I didn't put them in the book Mm -hmm. you know versus like the woman who was the custodian um, and her name's Sunny Delight, you know, yeah. she was a hundred percent supposed to be in the book and she was amazing. So anyway, so yes, I used my intuition for the story. So I'm glad they resonated with you. Amazing. Well, listen, I kind of know a little bit about you because of reading, um, trust within. And also I recently read your other book, uh, which I hadn't read cracking open, which is equally as amazing. Um, so I have the pleasure of knowing a little bit about you and a little bit about your background too. But for those listeners on that don't necessarily know you, Molly, just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Well, I am, um, I'm guessing some of your listeners are from all over, but I'm American. Obviously I live in a small mountain town in Bend, Oregon. 
in the United States, but I was born right in the middle of the United States in the Midwest in a town called Omaha, Nebraska, um, to a large Irish Catholic family. I have four siblings and um, I was very lucky to have um, an upbringing where I, I think that the beginning of my intuition was developed, not only because I was raised Catholic, so regardless of your religion or whatever you believe in, you know, it taught me to kind of start to look inside, to trust something outside of myself, whether you want to name that universe or God or um, nature, it doesn't matter the word. It's just that every week I went to Catholic school. So I had to look inside myself and spend time quiet, you know, in stillness mm -hmm. and in solitude, and then um, learn how to, you know, trust something outside of myself. So, um, and I was always drawn to people and their stories. So that led me after university in Arizona to education and being a teacher for eight years, elementary school teacher. And it was there in the classroom that something happened with one of my students that led me to my next journey. And it was a, a little girl, it was third grade, came in and she was really upset from recess. We, anyone who's been a child or has children knows the story probably happened to you or your children where she was left out or someone said something cruel to her and she was crying. But I worked at a, a private school that was very high academic and I had a math test and I had this quandary as a teacher. Do I attend to the needs of this one child emotionally, her emotional needs, mm. or do I attend academically to the other 22 students that are waiting to take this math test. And I realized as a teacher, I didn't have the time or the space or the expertise um, to do that. I'm not, a, I wasn't a therapist. And so I left education and went back to school in California and got my master's um, in counseling psychology in specific to Jungian psycho, psychotherapy, psycho, um, psychology. I'm a Jungian psychotherapist, Carl Jung. He was a Swiss psychotherapist. Yeah. Before. Amazing. And he focused on the self. Yeah and the um, ego and the shadow and things like that. And then from there, I started a whole program in San Francisco, California called Flourish. It's a social emotional learning program for children to work on self-esteem, body image, confidence, um, through art, yoga, meditation, and volunteer work, getting outside of ourselves to help others. And mm -hmm. I ran that for many years. And then we moved to Bend. I had a child and we moved to Bend, Oregon. And I did flourish. And I also started my private practice. I wanted to work more intimately individually with adults and couples and children and ran my private practice for 12 years. And it was during that time, though, that I really um, I've always been a writer. I've always written in journals. But I think it's really important for your listeners to know this. I was never told I was wonderful at it as a writer. I was never one of those students like teachers would say, you're going to be a writer one day or when, win the writing contest, you know, that was never like that. Um, but I loved it. And I, I loved getting my tea or my coffee, you know, through my teens and my twenties and my thirties and my breakups and my crazy nights the next morning and mm -hmm. my confusion of myself and getting my journal and just writing, writing, writing about my heart and my fears and my insecurities and, and it was through writing one of these journals that I realized, and I was a therapist at the time and a mother and a wife at the time, that this book could be for everyone. I was writing about, you know, feeling, feeling seen or not feeling seen, about mm -hmm. the shadow, the darkness of ourselves, and how do we bring that to the light, and about waking up 
to your truest potential and waking up to all of yourself. Um, and I realized that could be cracking open. Mm. So it took me seven years and I did wow. every piece of that, that book. Um, and I, and I again believed in myself and listened to my intuition and I self published. Um, and it was through that experience that um, Amazon got mm. a hold of it. And I had a meeting with them in New York City. And I tell this story in my second book, Trust Within. So I won't be a spoiler <laughs> alert. But I got a meeting with them in New York. And there it was then that meeting that they asked me if I would write a book for them about intuition. Because I was, I was a speaker. Um, and I was speaking about trust. And, um, and they said, would you ever, you know, I said, I spoke about my intuition and how much I always trust my intuition to make my biggest decisions mm. in my life and most small ones. And, um, so I, Amazon published my second book, Trust Within. Now cracking open because I did it myself, took seven years. Amazon gave mm. me 11 weeks to write my manuscript. That's crazy. Crazy. Mm, and I had two children and a full private practice, but like anything in life, again, another life lesson is that if you really want something, mm. you get it done. That's it. You right? do, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Whatever the I time. Mean, <laughs> regardless. Exactly. <laughs> so I just sat myself in this little library in my little town and I just wrote and wrote and wrote um, and got it finished. But it was from those books that I also became a speaker for companies like Apple and LinkedIn and Sojourn and Delta Dental, American companies and international companies, and um, got asked to do TED Talks. Um, and I did one on um, suicide, actually. And I did mm. one on human connection, the power of human connection. And then it's just, yeah, just slowly, you know, it's not one of these things that I really thought out, you know, yeah. and, and a lot of people have questioned my path that it hasn't been very fluid. It's kind of been piecemeal together. I keep looking you being in England, you may recognize this. Like I, I constantly look at my life as this cobblestone street. Like the yeah. stones are not smooth or perfectly placed. <laughs> and there might be a gap and I may trip over one, but there, there are one after the other leading me um, to my next journey, which is today on your podcast. <laughs> and I think that's so interesting, Molly. And I think that's it, isn't it? Like we were often led to believe that this, this path, this, this route we take is a linear, easy to, to follow path. And it, and it never really is, is it? It never really is, especially when we, you know, we start to understand and listen to our intuition because it can take us in so many different directions, which clearly it has you. Um, right. Do you think that, just want to go back a little bit to, to your childhood and stuff. Do you think if you haven't, hadn't had the upbringing that you did have, you would have had the, um, I guess, the trust and the confidence to step into that space of becoming a writer and, and setting up Flourish? You know, that's a really good question. And I think uh, for myself, no, I don't. I mean, I think for me, because, and also my parents were really, really great believers in letting each of us do what we need to do mm. um, and uh, supporting us in that you know, whatever we needed to do, they would support us in that. But I, I think children are naturally born with it. Mm. You know, they're naturally born with, you know, when their diaper's dirty or they're hungry, they cry. When they see something funny, they laugh. 
Yeah. You know, when they need to sleep, they sleep. When they don't want to sleep, they don't sleep. There, it's we are brought into this world as intuitive beings, mm. but it's inevitable. Even in my childhood, even in my life, that um, the world gets in the way, right? Even from the beginning of telling us what color is a tree, it's mm. green. Yeah. Versus yellow, red, purple, pink. You know, or if children already have, you know, when we go into the sentience, you know, the when you're clairvoyance, you know, the psychic abilities of children and we, we question it or, Oh, you're not really seeing that or that's not real. Or, or even if they are following a path that they love, you can tell your child or a child is a mathematician or an artist Mm. or an athlete or a chef. You know, we, it's very hard to always, you know, foster that, Um, especially in our education system. But it, I feel like, you know, because of my childhood, I was um, allowed to be who I was mm. fully. And um, I think this generation of parents is even doing that as well. But I definitely know that there's other children um, that have to fit in more of a mold, whether that's a religion or a culture or an identity or a dogma, who knows? Mm. You know, and that can inhibit your intuition. Absolutely. I think as a society, culturally as well, we, we, you know, in schools, we we put stuff in, don't we? English, math, science, we don't do that extrapolation of what our kids are truly passionate about. And I think there needs to be so much more of that. And it sounds like maybe in your childhood, you perhaps had the space to discover some more of those things because of the stuff you were doing outside of school, maybe. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I also think it makes me laugh. I mean, my mom and dad had five children in seven years. We have Irish wow. twins. And anyone knows that. I have two siblings in the same year. So I think it was just kind of like dog eat dog. Like yeah. you had to survive. <laughs> if you wanted to take the bread, you had to grab it. If you wanted to go do something, you needed to find a way to get there. You know, so I also have been described as scrappy. You know, like I can be scrappy and into And I think it allows you your intuition to live more when you're kind of in the survival mode yeah. of I got to make it happen. Mm. So I can't think of, I can't stay in the head too much. I got to mm. go into the heart. Yeah. And what does that look like? Pump the tire of your bike to get to the swimming hole. Mom's not going to have time to pump it every time or dad, you know, cause dad was working, you know, but like, what do you, and I, I think almost, you know, with a larger family, you kind of have to become more resourceful. And one of those resources was always my intuition. Yeah. Like how, can I trust that I can make this happen mm. versus relying on someone else to make it happen for me? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, so I know again, from reading your book, that intuition is such a pivotal part of your life for so many of the reasons you've just said, but was there, I guess, was there a point, like, was there a one moment in your career or, or growing up where, where you thought, I, I can't ever not listen to my intuition now. This is it. This is the truth. This is what mm-hmm. almost sets me free and guides me. I have to, mm-hmm. I don't know, make a career out of this or. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's so many, there really are, but I would say the two biggest decisions that I made for my intuition mm-hmm. um, that have been life-changing are my husband and a trip to India. So I was getting raised in a very Irish Catholic family and every one of my siblings either married someone Catholic or they converted to Catholicism. And I married a scientist who's an atheist. Oh, wow. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay. So like not even agnostic. 
<laughs> I was saying, are you sure you're not even agnostic? <laughs> you don't believe in anything? Nothing. You know, but I, ha- but I had to trust it was the right choice. Mm. And I just, I, and you know, here's the other thing I think will be so important for your listeners to know is when you solely trust and you follow your heart, other people will too. Yeah. You will get a little bit of backlash, but it's like almost know those people that you encounter that are so certain. Mm. You, even if you're not certain or you don't a hundred percent believe what they're doing, you go in line with them mm. because it's contagious. It Intuition is. Intuition contagious, right? Absolutely. So I think that I was so certain that my family just, it wasn't even an issue. You know, it was like, okay, we're all in line, mm. you know? So I would say that was the first decision. And then the second one, and there's lots of other ones, but mm-hmm. um, sadly, my father passed away um, 10 years ago and he was a huge part of my life and um, a deep, deep love in my life was for my father. And um, a year after uh, he died, I was watching a film called um, 10 Questions for the Dalai Lama. And it's about an American journalist who worked for a magazine and realized that he was going to get a private audience with His Holiness in Dharamsala with the Dalai Lama. And so he thought, gosh, if I get this private audience, what am I going to ask him? Like, what 10 questions would you ask His Holiness? And so in the middle of me watching it, my whole body started to shake, literally not wow. just chills, like mm-hmm. vibrating. And I knew I needed to go to India and help Tibetan refugees it was also about the crisis of the Tibetan refugees. Yeah. And I, I mean, I've done yoga and meditation, but I had never been like a um, advocate for Tibetan refugees. That was just mm-hmm. not where I was putting my energy and my resources and my volunteer hours. But I knew, so I paused the film, I got online, I booked a ticket and, um, and I was supposed to go three weeks later, but this was a move. The film was right before my father passed and then my father passed and I couldn't go because the grief. And then I, after, you know, about a year, I ended up going. And in that time, I just wrote www.dalilama.com <laughs> <laughs> and said, is there any way I can get a private audience with His Holiness? And um, the story is also in the book in more detail. But mm. they let me, they said, yes, come meet us. And I went and had this amazing experience in India um, for three weeks. I went and worked with Tibetan refugees and um supported them psychologically spiritually and they as me too i mean they helped me just as much as i helped them i was the mm. volunteer but yet i learned more from them probably than i taught them mm. and i did get in a private audience with his holiness the dalai lama and got to spend time with the dalai lama but you know the reason why that was such a pivotal moment is yes because i got to meet an enlightened being mm. <laughs> and yes because i got to have this amazing adventure through this elusive and magical country of India by myself. I went by myself. I left Mm. my children, but also because I had to combat my fears. Yeah. You know, I was really, a lot of fears came up of traveling in India by yourself. And, um, someone also called me three days before and actually said, I think you're being a bad mother, leaving your children Mm. going, you know, I had to fly to Pakistan at one point and, you know, I was, you know, there's parts that could have been dangerous, but I, I had to trust my heart. Yeah. And I had to have my soul be my guiding force. Yeah. 
and you just know don't you you just know it's the the right thing to do and and sometimes it doesn't make any logical sense but it just feels Mm. so so right and I think you mentioned there about facing fears when you're in that moment of trusting your intuition and making that decision your fears almost become a little bit nullified and and dulled down I don't know whether yours did Mm -hmm. they really did I mean it's almost I mean it really is a force Mm. you know it's a magnetic force your intuition that continues to pull you through and so fears you know can come but they don't really penetrate the force yeah they're like come out of the peripheral that's it right but I think when you're following your intuition, it's really a guiding force that you just keep going to the next phase. You know, I got my visa and then I got yeah. my volunteer work and then I got my plane ticket and I got, you know, and I just kept mm. moving through the next level Yeah. until I put my feet at 2 a.m. on the ground in Delhi and I'm like, here I am. Let's I mean, go. It's, it's such an incredible story and it, you, you, you articulate it so well in, in the book. It's, it's amazing. I'd urge anyone to to read it and wow what an experience I mean what was he like you know he is such a beautiful loving man he is definitely what he says is I'm just I'm just a human being Mm. you know I'm just a man I'm nothing special and you really feel that when you're with him and you feel like he's enlightened being (laughs) he's very funny I mean he grabbed me and we spent time together and he just basically said how old was your father when he passed and I said he was 72 and he is, he rolled his eyes up to the top of his head and I knew my father was there regardless wow. of what you believe in again. Mm-hmm. I mean, my father was there and it was like, he was talking to him cause he just kept going, Oh, Oh yes. Yes. And then, um, we actually stood in silence together, holding hands for five minutes wow. and I lost consciousness. I literally went to another place. And I, and I say this because I remember when it came back in Hmm. and it came back in with a voice that said, this is the Dalai Lama. He probably has places to go and things to do besides (laughs) hanging out with you, Molly Carroll, as much as I would have hung out with him all day and drank tea and had, you know, life changing conversations. And, um, I said, you, oh my gosh, thank you. I know you, you have to probably go and. I said something so unprofound, like, you know, everyone from the United States loves you or <laughs> something like that. And he just laughed and he was just incredibly kind, wow. incredibly, incredibly kind. And we took photos and then I left and I collapsed on the ground and I was sobbing. It was very dramatic. And all these security men were around me and it was kind of like, we have a 911 here, uh, an American blonde sobbing her eyes out, you know, some support. <laughs> I bet he gets but it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so he was a beautiful man. I mean, he's just, he feels so humble. He's like the, the epitome, epitome of humility. Wow. What and an grace. experience. Incredible. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we kind of touched on intuition, um, you know, what it is and, and yeah, what, what a force, etc. But, um, So the the dictionary, what does that say about it? It describes it as the ability to understand something instinctively without any conscious reasoning. And when I read Mm. this, Molly, I think it almost doesn't do it justice. Like it's good, Mm. but I feel like Mm. it could be better. So Mm. if if you have the opportunity to maybe rewrite the dictionary, what would you add to that, if anything? Mm. That's a really good question. 
You know, I would say the biggest piece that the Webster, Merriam-Webster is missing in the definition of intuition is that it's a whole body experience. Mm. It's not just about conscious or unconscious or your gut feeling or an instinct or, you know, things like that. It literally is, it embodies so many different parts of your experience. It's clairvoyant. You like sense it, you know, it's clairsentient. It's in the body. So you have to think about um, how you are as a human being, how you are as a learner. Um, are you an auditory learner? Are you a visual learner? Are you a kinesthetic learner? And so the, to define intuition would to be saying that it, 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 it will affect each area of your body in a different way and lead you to better decision-making skills. So, you know, mine was visual when I watched the movie and then I knew I needed to go meet the Dalai Lama or auditory when you hear a piece of music. Yeah. And you don't know why, but that, that, that auditory noise that goes into the brain and then goes through the whole body will give you information and wisdom that will change your life. Yeah. Or seeing a piece of art. Now, the important thing to also remember, and when you're defining intuition, is that it's got to embody your morals and your ethics and your values. For sure. Yeah. Right. Sure. I was asked one time in a conference of, so are you saying that Hitler used his intuition to kill the Jews? And that's a pretty harsh statement. Mm. But what it really embodied is that it taught me that, of course, no, I don't think he used his intuition because he wasn't using his morals and ethics and values. He was using more of his ego. ego. He was using more of his fear. Yeah. He was using more of his um, identification with power. So when you're using your intuition, you also need to really think about who you are as a human being and the effects that your decisions in tapping into this wisdom, this deep wisdom, is going to affect other people around you. Massively. And I think that's one of always one of the ways that I sort of differentiate between intuition fear ego or or just a great idea i i always i always do a sense check to see if it matches or it's aligned with my morals and my beliefs and my values mm -hmm. and if it is mm -hmm. then i know um mm -hmm. so yeah i think it's a great guide to 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 intuition um I'm interested. One, of my, one story, though, I, not to interrupt you, but one quick story I love is of the man Jay in my book, who's a recovering addict. Yeah. So anyone in your that's listening to your podcast that's sober, um, I think will really understand this definition of intuition. That's super powerful. What he taught me, which was so amazing, he said, "If I just listen to the first voice I hear, it's going to say to use, mm. you know, to use drugs or alcohol or whatever your, you know, sex, shopping, gambling, whatever your addiction is." And there's a, there's a, there's a, a series that needs to happen. Like you're saying is to, to stop and say, whose voice is this? Yeah. Is this the voice of the addict? Is this the voice of the mother, my mother of this, the voice of the part of me who wants to control things or the part of me that wants to be perfect perfectionism? Mm. Whose voice is this? Yeah. It's a very important question in, in tapping into your intu intuition and the shadow, the trickster, you know, whose voice. So it's always good to look at that. And when you're defining intuition and, and asking yourself, is this the true voice, the authentic voice of me mm. that needs to be revealed? Yeah, absolutely. 
I remember that story so well. Was he the buddhist guy that you met in the, had a cafe, did he? Or a mm-hmm. restaurant? Yes, I remember mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. He's a devout Buddhist yeah. now. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is a pretty big question I'm going to ask you now and, and something I ponder so often and, and have very, a lot of conversations with people about. And I don't think there's one sole purpose. Um, I think there's probably a few. So what, what, what do you think our intuition is here for? What's its job? Mm. You know what I would say? It's number one job is to, as human beings, to make us feel alive. Yeah, I like that. To, you know, I'm almost 50. I've lost both my parents. I've lost friends. Um, I've lost family members. Um, And so grief has become part of my story, whether I wanted to it or not. And I think we have to remember that this thing called life is quite an interesting education. And that when you tap into your intuition and really deeply listen, you feel more alive. It's, it's because so there's true. a lot of things in life that can make you not want to get out of bed in the morning. So many. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, like it's not an easy task to put one foot in front of the other when there's a global pandemic like we're in now yeah. or when there's political unrest or even your children are struggling somehow or you have some health issues or you're struggling with anxiety or depression, which I dealt with every day in my private practice. And so when you listen to that deeper wisdom, you feel more alive. So true. You really, really do. And I think it just gives you that comfort that, you know, that no other person ever could. Well, I suppose it's yourself, isn't it? Providing that comfort. Um, Mm -hmm. But you're absolutely right. It does make you feel alive. And I think that's a great purpose, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, of course, it makes you make better decisions. And we could talk into the science of that. Yeah. You know how our intuition affects our corpus callosum, which is the gray thickening matter between the right and left brain. Mm-hmm. And the more you use your intuition, the stronger that gets between neuropathways to make better decisions. Um, you could talk about the sole purpose of intuition is to be a teacher to others, to be a role model, to be an inspiration. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think all of that really comes down to feeling more awake and alive in this world. Yeah. You know? Day and I used, I used to say, you know, it, it's almost um, a tool to, to guide you to your truth. But then when you are living an authentic, truthful life, that is when you feel alive. So it's, you know, it's the same thing, really, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, it's so funny. It's, it comes even down to the simplest things. Um, one of my favorite, I did a ton of research mm. when I was doing this book and one of the, um, studies I came across was about buying a car, which sounds so simple, you know, but what they discovered is that when people spend months and months researching and, you know, reading all their consumer reports and looking at all the mechanics of a certain car and doing their checklists, their pros and cons and their Excel mm-hmm. spreadsheets, and then they realize they know the car that's right for them and their financial place and their you know place for their family and their place for their lifestyle and then they go in and buy the car you know what percentage of the time are they really happy 25 percent. yeah i was gonna say probably yeah right whereas if you walk on the lot you see the car you see the color you see you don't even look at the price you just say that is the car i Mm. want 
and you buy it, you're 60% more happy with your purchase mm. because you followed your gut. Exactly. You didn't follow your head. Yeah. You know, and I know it's such a simple example, but I think about that often in my purchasing and in my life and in my decisions, you know, you know, cause do I have to do a, a checklist of pros and cons and yeah. another, another man I love who tells the story is Tim Cook from okay. Apple, He's the CEO of Apple. And when he was, Apple came to him in the early nineties, I believe there's a clip. You can watch the clip um, from Duke university interviewed him in the business school at Duke university. And there's a clip of him talking about Apple coming to him and he was going to have to leave IBM. And everyone said, you're crazy. Apple's in the tank. You know, it's not doing well. IBM is thriving. And he made his checklist. He made his pros and cons and why he should stay at IBM and not go to Apple. And of course, everything said he should stay at IBM, but he kept hearing this little whisper, mm. this little voice that was saying, go West, young man, go West because mm. Apple. California. <laughs> on the West Coast. Go West, young man. Go West. And he left and it was the best decision he's ever made in his life. This is it. You know? And it goes back to what we said before, doesn't it? Sometimes our intuition does defy logic. It defies reason and it and it sends us in a direction that we think actually that doesn't make any sense. But we just have to step into that space and trust it. And sooner or later we'll know why and it will make sense. Um, I know you believe that too. You have a beautiful life story around that. So I think you, you really, you, you innately know that deeply. Yeah. Just powerful. I think that was the first time in my life though, that I've probably had to listen to my intuition, making the decision to have that nonsensical operation and seeing that it paid off. And now every, I said this to you, didn't I, when we spoke, every decision I make now is based on my intuition and I think sometimes um, it's hard because of that external noise people will sometimes say well that that's that is a little bit reckless that decision you know maybe you've not thought that through but I I know that feeling I recognize when that feeling comes along and and I have to almost block out that noise when people say "Mm, it could be a bit reckless because I know that it's the right thing to do Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it, it's hard, isn't it? There's external factors that can almost make us second guess ourselves. It is. I mean, it is. And, and I also um, think it's really important to also talk about, and this is even coming from someone who's really studied intuition mm. innately, you know, and practiced it myself in many of my decisions in my life, that there will be moments in your life you won't hear it. Yeah, you won't. I don't care how um, spiritual you are, or how intellectual you are, how many books you've written about intuition. I hope it's okay if I curse, but it's all bullshit. Sometimes, (laughs) you know, it really is. Like I am in a place in my life. It's interesting. I'm doing this podcast, and I'm going to be really honest. I'm in a place in my life where I cannot hear my intuition right now. Right. Because my mother passed away six months ago, so I'm still in this process of grieving my mother. And so I just want your listeners to know if you are struggling with grief or, you know, chronic disease or depression or anxiety, and you're not hearing your truth, Mm. that's okay. That is okay. It will return. It will return. And I just have to trust that. And, you know, I'm even like, I'm even, it's almost like a muscle that we have to practice. So even now it's like, 
do I do this or do I do that? I'm not hearing that. But like even the smallest things I practice it of like, should I have a cup of tea or a cup of mm. coffee? Yeah. But do you so think our intuition, mm-hmm. yeah. Do you think it's sort of like it does that? It kind of hides away for a period to almost allow the person to heal and feel those emotions that they should be feeling, like grief, loss, etc. I do. I really do. I just think it's a time of like, because when you're doing, when you're in your intuition a lot, you're kind of, um, you're almost like high little, alert, aren't you? Yeah. Moving train. Like, choo, yeah. choo, choo, let's go, let's go, let's do this. Oh my gosh. It's exciting. It's, it's expansive. You know, I mean, we can talk about later the difference between fear and intuition. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll teach you guys the difference, but when you're in your intuition, you're in the present moment, you're excited, you're alive, you know, you're going, going, going. So when these, uncomfortable moments come in your life because I there are challenges but I also like to say they're just really uncomfortable and one of the goals in life is to get comfortable with the uncomfortable yeah right to surrender to the teachings of the uncomfortable moments which is so not fun I hate it I hate (laughs) these moments you know I would so much rather be like flying to India and moving to Barcelona and all the fun things that I've done versus like oh my gosh you know making pasta for my children and not knowing what my next steps are right Mm -hmm. But these are the Uh, moments that make us human, right? We have to have these moments as well. It can't all be like, you know, 100 miles an hour, euphoria, all of that. We have to have these moments to appreciate the highs. Well, and the connecting moment, right? Yeah. When we talk about when another power of intuition is connection, it allows you to connect to other people. And so, yeah, you're right. The human moments make us so much more real. So, yeah. So I just want to voice that because I think it's important for your listeners to know that they're not always going to have it right fingertips yeah and then if they don't have at their fingertips something's wrong with them yeah i'm i'm not enough of this or i'm too much of that yeah and the inner critic comes in but to say just slow down trust the heart you know stay stay in where you are and that it will return it will yeah. return and maybe in little it'll be quieter in little moments yeah. but it will it will be there with you no matter what and well, like we said, maybe there is some healing or something that that person has to do. And that's why it's kind of just disappeared for a few months. Not disappeared, just gone on the down low for, for a while. Right, like turned on the volume just a little bit. Yeah, right? exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. So I guess there'll be people that, um, and, and I know there is because a lot of my friends tell me this, they've, they've never had that sort of intuitive feeling. Um, maybe they have, but they didn't trust it enough to kind of follow it. So if there were, mm. a, I don't know, a five-step process to understanding your intuition, um, what mm-hmm. would you say number one step is? What would that be? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the number one thing is that you've, you need to cultivate a practice of stillness, of quiet. Which it's is so not, hard, it's right, sometimes it's beaming, you know, and it's, but it, it, a lot of times it's not. So make that whatever it can be for you. I mean, it may be when you're driving, you go pick up your kids from school, you don't have the radio on or podcast on, or you're just quiet driving. Or, you know, you may have a meditation practice, a sitting meditation practice. And you may only be able to sit two minutes one day and another day, 20 minutes or walking in nature by yourself. If you get out in nature, um, it really is in the stillness and the quiet um, that you're able to experience it. Right. Yeah. And then once you experience it right through the body. So, okay. Step one is get stillness. Step two is you're going to experience it. You're going to hear it. You're going to sense it. You're going to feel it in your gut. You're going to see it. You're going to experience it right on a clairvoyant level, some level or clairsentient level. Then you have to trust it. See, that's where your friend is stuck. She can't yeah. get past it. She doesn't trust it. 
she it doesn't fit her morals or she won't make enough money or she doesn't have enough money or that would be crazy or how dare I leave the stable job to open a cafe like mm. then they don't trust it right so you got to just in order to get to the next step and that's only step two they got to trust it once they trust it that's when you go into deeper inquiry mm. that's when you go into looking kind of like what Jay talked about whose voice is this yeah. isn't in line with my morals ethics and values even if it's a crazy idea. Yeah. How many people will this serve? Then you got to follow through. You got to start making the steps. Like I said, like I got the visa to India. I booked my ticket. I looked at the organizations I was going to volunteer. I got my kids, my private practice set up. Like you, then you start following and then instantly it just starts to flow. Mm. You'll start to feel the highs of what you're doing. You'll start to feel like you, like we talked about the fear won't, won't touch that bubble yeah that's keeping you protected it's yeah. like it like bubble wrap it's you know, like being in a flow state yeah mm-hmm. it is isn't you it like exactly. a flow state mm-hmm. um, and then you make this then you make some of the best decisions of your life so it's like that process of going through massively so that stillness is important as you say that that finding that moment just and you know i think as again as a human species at the moment we're Actually, at the moment, is probably the perfect time with the whole COVID. I was reading an interesting thing the other day about the COVID pandemic and the trajectory of it in terms of how the first part of it was almost seen as this apocalyptic state where, which actually I learned in Greek means to reveal. So isn't actually a bad word. Um, followed mm-hmm. by, so there was initially this apocalyptic stage when everyone was a little bit crazy, buying, hoarding, toilet roll, etc. And now we're in something called the pause effect which is essentially giving mm. us time to, it's like someone's pressed pause on the world. So we have that time now to, to do that introspection, that, that, that self-discovery, that work, and, and truly look within, mm. don't we? And then hopefully yeah. come out of that more, more awakened with a better sense mm. of who we are. So in some ways, that stillness, we can, it's the perfect time to have that at the moment if we don't find the distractions um and then trust my, it yeah, you're so right mm-hmm. one of my favorite questions to ask people clients of mine right now you know i'm still seeing clients is is what have you learned during this time mm. or how are you how are you changed how are you different to really go in and do that deeper inquiry of recognizing when we can get in a state of panic and anxiety right because there are still a lot of people actually yeah. in that phase of feeling like there's something that's not right but even in the midst of that how much have you grown how much have you changed what do you appreciate you know yeah in that pause state like that you're speaking of there's a so lot much of I th- yeah i think everyone can certainly say that they've learned one if not you know a few things out of this um mm-hmm. it's certainly held the mirror up i think hasn't it to us all yes on a global level which i think is the most interesting thing to be honest is yeah. there's been things that happen like 9-11 happened in the United States or things will happen, wars will happen in Syria or Iraq, you know, but that on a global level that every single human being experienced mm. this pandemic is so fascinating to me. Um, and that we're all asking to tap into many things. Yeah. But my passion is your intuition. Mm. Right? Like, do Absolutely. you or not? Right? You know, all the questions we're being faced with. Yeah. It is. And I think for the first time, I've certainly felt just connected to to every single person, on, you know, globally. 
um, because we're all mm. essentially going through the same thing. We're all in the same storm. I guess we're just in different boats, aren't we? But we all have that yeah. common intuitive thing that we can draw on. Mm-hmm. So I know something I want to ask you, which again, people that I kind of teach and train struggle with this a lot, understanding the difference between intuition, fear and ego. And I've added another one mm-hmm. in as well. Um, so wishful thinking, because I think sometimes we can have these great ideas and go, oh my God, it's my intuition driving me to go to Miami and open a beach bar or whatever. But so how, do we, how do we differentiate between fear, ego and wishful thinking? Mm, it's a really good question. I would say it, it, it ultimately comes down to the body again, to really trusting what's going on with your body, both on an emotional level and a scientific level. Okay, so I'm actually going to put wishful thinking, fear and ego in the same category and intuition in the other. Yeah, because I think those three things are all intertwined. You know, sometimes our wishful thinking is connected to our ego. Our fear is definitely connected to our ego. And as a union, I don't even think the ego is all bad. I know there's a definitely a purpose mm. for our ego to need to be seen. We need the drive. We need to get things done. And ego does that a lot. But let's let's in this in this case, let's talk about the part of the ego that does not serve us. Right that can get us caught up in our fears and our worries and things like that. So if you go, if you go into the body, you'll recognize that fear or ego or wishful thinking will sometimes feel, can feel heavy or contracted. You're like, you kind of lean in. And actually what you want to do is you want to ask, like when you're checking in on something, let's say you want to go up in the beach bar in Miami, mm-hmm. you want to find a trusted confidant, someone who will absolutely tell you the truth. Okay. And while you're telling them about your idea, you want them to have watch your body, watch what your body does, watch what your voice does, right? So does it ever feel heavy or contracted or it should happen or it shouldn't happen, right? Is there a tenseness? Is there anxious anxiety? I got to go. I got to go now. If I don't do it now, I'll never have another chance. That is not intuition, right? Mm. And you often talk about, people will talk about the past or the future. Okay. I never did this before. I've always wanted to do it. It's always been something I've been craving. Or if I don't do it, how am I going to provide for my children? Or that my life is going to be destroyed in the future. I'm never going to get what I want, right? Mm. It'll be generally be in those sort of things. And your, your pupils will show it. Your hands will sweat. Your heart will beat faster. Mm. These are not always intuition. No. Intuition is expansive. Mm. Like when I was watching that movie and my body started to shake, it was not a bad thing. It was expanding. Mm. There was a lightness to me. It actually felt calm and exciting. Yeah. Versus being anxious or heavy, Mm. right? It was exciting. There was a neutrality to it. Like there wasn't like this sense that that was going to hurt anyone or um, it was just a neutral decision. Like it just felt like it was already done. Yeah. Yeah. Already done, you know? And then you're, you're very much in the present moment, like right there, right there. You don't even go anywhere else. Mm. I mean, it's not about when you start preparing and you're in that part of deeper inquiry or follow through. Sure. You'll be doing things for the future, but in the decision-making, you're very much in the present moment in this moment right now. I know this is real. Mm. Now, another important thing for people to recognize is intuition is so is such on a level of intellect and wisdom that along the process of this, 
it will start to show you if it's not the right decision. So you may think I'm making this, this is my intuition and I'm hearing it and I'm supposed to open this bar in Miami. That mm. is your intuition in that moment. Mm. It's expansive and it's light. It feels calm and exciting. It's right in the present moment. But as your friend goes down the line, let's just say it's your friend and she starts looking at property or she starts looking at visas or she's, and it's not working. She starts feeling anxious. Her mm. body's feeling heavy. When she's telling a friend it's all about fear, then it's not her intuition anymore. It's right. not the right decision. So it's tricky, right? Yeah, it is, isn't it? It is. It yeah. is. And I suppose there's an element whereby you have to not be so almost proud and go, actually, I got it wrong. It wasn't my intuition. It was actually something else. And so I'm going to not do that anymore. And it's that as well, mm-hmm. isn't it? You're kind of battling with almost pride. It's, it's true. Well, well, and the ego too, because if you remember the story of the woman in my book who got in the car and drove with her boyfriend to LA from New yeah. York, never thought she'd leave New York, got married along the way, right? They got married. It was just this free spirit. Intuitively, she knew she needed to go. And then the moment she got in LA, the, the relationship ended, the marriage ended. So someone could look at that story and be like, God, her intuition was wrong. She shouldn't have married that guy. She shouldn't have gotten in that car. Boy, was she wrong about that. But no, it was exactly the way it should be because she loves LA. She still lives there. It changed her life. It just doesn't always look the way we think movies look like Mm. the perfect scenario. It's more about Hillman's, the hero's journey, you know, the hero's journey of you go on a, you go on a journey you face challenges, you maybe meet a mentor and then you come through this quest, right? Yeah. So intuition is more of like the hero's journey versus, you know, a Hollywood movie. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think we all, you know, are perhaps led to believe that intuition will take you to this magical promised land, but actually it's sometimes about taking you over some rough terrain to, 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 to give you those lessons that you're meant to learn as part of your, you know, your, your journey here on this, this, this planet. Mm-hmm. So exactly. I think it's maybe about exactly. rethinking the way um, in, in which it, rethinking what intuition is, is going to provide us with almost. Mm-hmm. 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 Exactly. So, so when we, when we've kind of differentiated them between fear, ego, wishful thinking, um, how do we, how do we then keep it alive? Is it a case of just keep on trusting like you've, you've already said, and that will propel us mm-hmm. further into the, to the journey in which we're meant to be on? Mm-hmm. Yes. And I mean, I do something what I call every day an intuition prayer. I use the word prayer. You can use an intu- intuition mantra. You could whatever you want every day. Every morning when I wake up, I say this because I think it's an everyday practice. It's kind of like playing the piano and becoming a famous pianist, but you never want to practice the piano. You just want mm. to kind of happen to you. Intuition's the same way. It's a skill that we need to cultivate. So every morning I wake up and I say, okay, worlds, universe, beings, show me what I need to see. Let me meet who I need to meet. Let me hear what I need to hear. Let me experience what I need to experience. I will trust it. I will trust it. So again, we go back to that muscle, Mm. you know, that I, every day you just have to, and on the smallest things, right? So like this morning, getting ready for this podcast, 
I knew I wanted to go for a run and go out in nature and do my meditation practice, but it's freezing. It was 34 degrees out in Bend this morning. Cold. Sorry, Fahrenheit. So you guys are Celsius, but you know, and I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. I want to stay inside with my cup of tea. And you know, but I was like, no, my intuition was like, you get out there, you go. (laughs) Right. But my being was like, oh no, I want to stay warm and cozy. So it's like every day just, and I did it. It was a beautiful meditation. It was a great run. And I needed to do that to clear my my body, mind, and soul to be ready for you. So it's, it's these, you know, it, it is something that you have to start your day with and, and actually cultivate, mm. you know, every day and little things of making decisions for your children or making a decision around saying yes or no to a friend. You know, yeah. do I want to go do that or do I not? Yeah. You know, or, or taking a job mm. or how do you want to live your life? Or, or which peanut butter you buy at the grocery store. Now, yeah. I don't have to get too, <laughs> you know, OCD about it. But, you know, it is important to be like, no, I'm not supposed to buy that one. I'm supposed to buy this one, you know. Yeah. And, and, the, and by strengthening that muscle, it will be louder and stronger and more present than your ego, your fear, or your wishful mm. thinking. I love that idea of a mantra in the morning. Um, I can't mm-hmm. say that I do that, but I think it's something that I'm definitely going to start doing. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I do the meditation. I go on my walk every day. I've been doing it since the start of lockdown, since the start of COVID. Every day at four o'clock for an hour and a half, I'm on my walk and that's my meditative time. I don't ever get distracted. Wow. I'm just in the moment. And that's when my kind of intuition comes to me. And I kind of ask myself the questions I, I want to know. So I guess it's similar. just a different kind of mantra. No, very similar because you're actually following the path we talked about about stillness, starting with mm. stillness, listening, trusting, you know, being curious. Yeah. And then moving forward through it. And you give yourself an hour and a half. That's that's amazing. That's beautiful. Mm. Yeah, well, I have wonderful. to because I've had the kids at home for so long. I need that hour <laughs> and a half, Molly. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. We had five hours, 24 hours, right? I know. Exactly. We need a lot of that. God. <laughs> so there is um i think I, I know the answer to this in in the sense of what you're going to say but there is this sort of esoteric view that comes that that kind of talks about intuition coming through the a clear mind only and not the heart um but i personally think it's almost multifaceted and it comes through every part of our mm-hmm. our being um what are your thoughts mm-hmm. on that mm-hmm. It's so funny when you say that question, my first thing comes up like, who's saying that? That is so interesting to me. And I'm guessing it's from like a scientist. It is. It is. I work with a lot of neuro people in London and they're they're the ones that say this. Yeah. 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 Because we now know, thank goodness, science is in line. And and Dr. Antonio Damasio was, did an amazing study through the University of Iowa. I tried to get him for my book and I couldn't get him because he was too busy, but you know, there is, he did a science on, on, on cards and, you know, people knew the cards before you flipped them. And there's other studies that are being done in whales. So now we do know that it is in the brain and it's on the right side of the brain. And, you know, we know exactly where it is in the brain, which is helpful. And I always describe it as kind of just to touch on the science a little bit for your neuroscientists that, mm. you know, are hopefully listening. And because they are right. There is a piece of it. It's like it's like a phylo deck of experiences. So it's not like it just comes out of thin air. There is a piece of me, like, let's just use my story of India. I yeah. have always and drawn to the Dalai Lama. I've been reading his writings for years. I have, um, you know, I love film. So, and I love documentary. So it's not like out of nowhere that I watched a documentary film. 
Hmm. And it's not on any, I've always been a traveler. I've lived in Barcelona. I've lived in Paris. I've you know traveled all over the world. So it's not like it was out of nowhere that I would take this journey by myself, right? So all these sort of experiences in my fellow deck of life led me to this next one, right? Yeah. So there is, a, there is a, you know, an esoteric view that it is around the mind, that the mind did help make that decision, 100%. Now, the heart is the leading force of it, though. Okay. The Sufis say the mind should be the servant to the heart, always. The mind should be the servant. The mm. heart should be the leader. So when you're following your intuition, your heart 100% should be the leading force. Yeah. And then from that experience of feeling it in your heart, opening your heart, living from a place of love, all the other parts of the mind come in. You know, your morals, ethics, values, your decision-making, you know, the logistics of the decision, how that's going to happen. It's not one or the other. It's a beautiful marriage between mm -hmm. the two, the brain and the mind. And the heart right so yeah i was thinking about that i was like oh my god that's a question i've never gotten it before but i do 100 percent think that where i believe in the sufis that the, that the mind is the servant yeah the heart is the leader mm -hmm. i absolutely love your articulation of that I, I i much prefer it i have to say i much prefer it to the <laughs> esoteric view um so thank you for for sharing that um we're, we're kind of near in time, Molly. So I've got one, one final question. And again, I get this yeah. question a lot, but I'm really interested to hear your sort of thoughts on it. So we do have people, um, sadly, that believe that intuition is, is a bit of an elusive trait um, and is only available to mm -hmm. a privileged few. You know, people actually believe that it's something that is not within them. So what would you say to those people? Mm. You know, I would say that I understand why they feel that way because they've probably not used it. Mm -hmm. So it's like someone who never learned how to write is going to say there's only a few, it's only people who, there's only a certain group of people that can write. And it was those people that were taught to write, right? So we were taught this, you know, what happens when we're children is that a lot of our neural networks are developed as you know, in early childhood. And if you were not given the opportunity to tap into that wealth of wisdom around your intuition, you're not gonna think that you're someone who has that, that it's only for the chosen few, right? And you're actually probably gonna get triggered by it. You know what the word triggering mm. means? Like a psychological yeah, yeah. term, like it's gonna bug you. It's gonna yeah. annoy you. You're gonna think those people are too woo woo or oh, they're just mm. speaking. They don't understand. They haven't. They don't have the data. They don't know the science. It's not true because it's almost like they're less than in a way. Mm. You know, it's it, it's not fitting them. But I hundred percent know that every single person on this planet has intuition. Yeah. And there's not a doubt in my mind that also wants to say, and this is a bold statement, that if we lived more in our intuition, we would have a better planet. I believe we would be that. more humane. Yeah. We would be more kind. We would be less greedy. We would definitely be more connected because one thing I know for sure is that when I am in my intuition, I know every single person on this planet is my brother and sister. Yeah. That we are not alone and that the decisions I make affect them.
Mm. From the smallest thing of being rude to someone at the gas station to, um, you know, volunteering my time and helping someone who just was sexually assaulted, mm. you know, like being as a therapist and listening to their story and yeah. being empathetic. So, so, you know, when you are in your intuition and when you come from a place of the heart, it's quite impossible to not be more empathetic and vulnerable and loving and connected. So for me, I just, you know, if anything, someone may listen to this podcast and maybe even turn it off in the first five minutes, but the next day they think about it. Yeah. They think about their intuition. They think about how, what if I just one did one decision with my intuition versus my head? Mm. Just one. And then yeah. they start to press that and it feels good and they feel more alive and it was kind of exciting. And someone noticed it like, wow, that doesn't sound like you, but you look different or mm. you sound different or you're more excited. And from that experience, it's kind of like a snowball effect and they will then change themselves, therefore changing everyone they're around. So yeah, I'm a big believer in, in following the heart, following your intuition, listening mm. on a deep, deep level, going in before coming out. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I mean, what does Albert Einstein say? He says the only real valuable thing we have is our intuition. And I think it's, mm -hmm. it's so, so true. And the way you've just articulated mm -hmm. it is, is, is beautiful. We would definitely be, uh, well, we'd be a better world, wouldn't we, if we all listened to it? I so think I th so. I'm biased. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the perfect place to stop, Molly. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to hear your absolute nuggets of wisdom and slices of life. And I've no doubt that they're, they're going to inspire so, so many people. So thank you um, from the bottom of my heart for, for joining me. It's been a real, real pleasure. What a gift. Thank you for reading my book and thank you for reaching out. It's been such a gift to meet you, Lisa. I love everything you're doing and thank you for helping the world so much and making such a difference in so many people's lives. Thank you. Oh, bless you.